what happens when you choose a career and all of a sudden your job is changed or you lose your job? Anybody here in the last three years with COVID and everything else have to change jobs? Does that create anxiety? I wonder where the paycheck's going to come from, I guess. We all have transitions. Those of us who have reached the grand age of 60 plus and have chosen or out of necessity retired. Are there a few of you here? I know all my friends are, okay? That happened to me five years ago. It's hard to believe that it's been that long already. It's a transition, going from knowing what you're doing every day, getting up in my case about 5.30 o'clock, 5.30, and driving an hour and 20 minutes to work, and uh, getting home about dinner time or maybe a little after, depending on when Marcia was expecting me. And all of a sudden, here I am at home and no place to go. I think it probably caused Marcia more anxiety than it did me. What on earth is he going to be doing today? You know, following me around the house, causing problems. We all go through transitions. Sometimes in older age, we find out our bodies don't work as well as they used to. And a doctor prescribes 16 medications for us. And we find out that some of those medications don't work or they counteract each other or they cause other problems. A transition. Transitions in life. It happens to all of us. We have transitions in our marriage. Times of worry and times when we are concerned about our spouse. Times when we're not getting along as well as we'd like to. What I want to talk to you about today is a transition that I believe transcends all of these transition periods. Something that God has done for us to make those transitions easier. I won't say easy, but makes them easier if we are in his word. So what do you do in a time of transition? Let's have a slide up there, maybe. Okay, that doesn't look the way I planned it, but the three points, three points, that was supposed to be one slide. The three points I want to make for you today is we are all made as unique individuals with specific capabilities, okay? We're made unique. We're created by God as unique individuals. Number two, as we transition from one phase of life to another, we should ask the question, what is God's plan for me now? Not necessarily what is my job or who I should marry, but what is God's plan for me at this point? And number three, we can know God's plan for us, but it will require something of us. It's not a rocking chair kind of thing, okay? So those are the three principal points that hopefully by the time I'm done today, we'll have, it'll come more, become more clear to you where this all fits together. So in order to start, I want to set the stage. So if you turn to me, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is the beginning of our story. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So God created humankind in his image. So let's just unwrap that a little bit. Okay, it's a plural form. Let us create man. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, have created man in God's image, in the image of these three personalities of God. Now, when you think of image, what do you think of? This is a really simple thought, but sometimes I think we get it wrong. I was curious of what it said on the internet, which is fraught with all kinds of difficulties if you believe everything you see on the internet. But I look up image of God on the internet, and I don't see Ted Lasko. Oh, that's not, okay, you got a funny slide on the back wall. If you look that up on the internet, what do you get? You get all kinds of pictures. One, of the, one that struck me right off was this picture of about a 70-year-old guy, like me, bald, pretty muscular, with a long gray beard and gray hair. Oh, by the way, he was Caucasian. So, here's our image of God. Well, that's an image of God that somebody painted on a chapel, perhaps over in Italy somewhere. Other images are images of people praying. They're all physical images of God. I don't believe that when this scripture was written that God meant literally we look like God. That's one of these points you can check with Logan about later. I believe what he's talking about is the image of God's character. They created, we were created to be the image of God's character. And I'll try and unpack that for you as we go along. The second thing that you get from these verses is that we were designed to take care of the animals, creeping things. I'll let Marcia take care of the creepy things. She likes those snakes and worms and lizards and things. We are to take care of the earth. This was a, a question that my middle son was asked at a conference uh, that he was applying for scholarships for schools, for a Christian school. Uh, what's a Christian's responsibility to the environment? Well, if you go back to these verses, God put us on earth with special capabilities that we can take care of the earth, the animals, the flora, the fauna, the, the whole thing, that that is part of our responsibility. So God gave us a purpose. He told us what we're going to be like, and he gave us a purpose. Now, what did man do with that? Well, we'll go back to Genesis. We can go to Genesis chapter 2 to see that God, when God created man and woman, Genesis chapter 2, uh, let's let me get on the right verse, 25, Genesis 2, 25. Well, he's talking about, okay, he created woman because man needed a help me. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then he says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
Now, you can take the Bible literally or metaphorically on some of these kind of things. I'm going to take this metaphorically. They were naked, they were exposed, and, didn't, and weren't ashamed. Okay? So metaphorically, we say that that man and woman, their thoughts, their emotions, everything was plainly visible. They were naked. And they weren't ashamed. Everything was cool. It was good. They weren't ashamed of anything they were doing, anything they were thinking. Okay, now we turn to just a few verses after that, <coughs> to chapter 3, verse 9. So, well, I'll back up one, to verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord. They, man and woman, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's a nice day, kind of like today. It's a little cool, out walking in the garden, everything's good. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Okay, again, look at this metaphorically. Adam knew that they'd done something wrong. And now they were afraid to be seen for what they have become. God sees their heart. God sees what they're thinking, what their emotions are. And he says, that's not good. So this is the start of the bad part of our lives. The things we do wrong trace back to this particular part of the scripture. God reconciled us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. This is a big jump forward, right? Okay, going from Old Testament to New Testament. God sent his son to reconcile us, to say, yeah, I know you did that, but I'm going to send my son. He's going to be an example for you. His image is going to be created physically here on earth, and he's going to show you how to live. So I'm sending him to reconcile you from this problem you've got. So what happens? Then we read in 2 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 to 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I'm going to take this to mean no one to the flesh, meaning who you are, what you are, what you look like, whether you're tall or short or black or white or Hispanic or whatever. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. So now we have a transition. This is a transition going from the Old Testament law to the New Testament. If you are in Christ, now you are a new creation. Okay, what does that mean? That means you no longer look the way you did? No. I think it's taking the original position that God made us, created in his image, created in his character, all the characteristics of God, other than, let's say, omniscience or omnipotence, those kind of characteristics that we'll never have, but rather all his good qualities he created in us, but we messed them up. Jesus came back to say, now you're a new creation. You are going to be able to be restored to that original condition. Okay? 
Hence the title of my presentation, Transition, uh, Transition to Restoration. We are all in transition in our spiritual lives also, as well as our physical lives. Whether we're getting married or not getting married or having children or whatever is going on, those transitions are our physical transitions. We have our spiritual transitions also. So where, where is this going? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door to the sheepfold. So he's always using these pastoral kind of uh, analogies. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. What are sheep most interested in doing? Eating and sleeping. Okay? So he's saying, if you're in this sheepfold, you want to be satisfied. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Again, this is metaphorically not physically. You're not necessarily going to have a Cadillac in the driveway and a 4,000 square foot home on a hillside with a view of the mountains. Okay? Christ said he's come that he might have an abundant life. So our transition can be transitioning from this life that we lead of characters that are not godlike to ones that are godlike. And I'll get into the details of that in a minute. In order to try to give you a picture of what this looks like, I want to use one of my hobbies as an analogy. Okay? So some of you are going to get totally lost because you know nothing about old cars. But I want to talk about classic cars. Oh, excuse me. I think I have one slide that I didn't. Okay. That's right. We'll just, we'll go with it. Okay. How do you begin a restoration project? Let's show the first photograph. How come my slides look different than yours? Okay. This is a 1967 Ford Mustang. Actually, it has some 1968 parts on it because the guy that used to own it was a friend of mine, an associate pastor at a church over in Richland, and uh, he wrecked it. A minor wreck, just enough that he had to replace the two front fenders and the hood. So those parts actually are 1968, but unless you're kind of an aficionado like I am, uh, you wouldn't know how to tell the difference between the two front ends. They're pretty much the same. How do you decide what to do for restoration? Okay, so remember, this analogy is we're talking about our spiritual restoration. Now, using the car analogy, the first thing you need to do is decide whether or not the car is worth enough for you to restore it. I'm going to assume most of you believe that your life is important enough to you and to God that you want to have a complete relationship with him to be restored to the kind of person that he designed you to be. This car was designed probably in about 1966 because it's a 1967 model, and it was a pretty good vehicle for its day. Now, compared to today's cars, it's probably mostly junk. But it was well-designed, 
It worked pretty well. It had a, this one had a 289 engine in it, very reliable little engine, little V8 engine, and uh, decent enough brakes that it could stop most of the time, and decent steering. So how do you decide if you want what you want to do with this car? Okay, you need to evaluate it. And we'll get back to you need to evaluate it yourself later. You need to evaluate what parts of this car are worth saving and which ones need to be thrown away. So you look at, no, back up one, please. You need to look at the exterior and the interior. So you can see by that that there was a little bit of rust. Actually, there's a whole lot of rust under the wet carpet that had to be thrown out. Uh, and you look at the mechanical system. You look at the engine and decide, okay, is this engine good? It ran, yes, uh, but it didn't run very well. I had to put it on, push it up onto a trailer to get it home because it had, somebody had put in, actually put a, a Thunderbird carburetor on it and didn't do a very good job. And when I started up just to see if the dumb thing ran, uh, had more gas coming outside the carburetor than inside. Uh, uh, brakes, no, didn't have any brakes. We had to be careful how fast we pushed it. Uh, so it needed some work, mechanical work, body work, interior work, the headliner was sagging, need to be replaced, etc. Okay, next. So you evaluate the scope, then you have to begin your disassembly. And you decide what parts can be saved and which parts need to be thrown away. Again, this analogy is for you to think about your life. What parts of this car need to be thrown away? The two front fenders. A uh, couple windows. Uh, need a new carburetor. Uh, various other kinds of parts. So I won't go into too many details, but you have to disassemble it. You don't necessarily start with that car in the previous picture and sand it down and put new paint on it. The original paint on these cars of that era didn't have what we call clear coat these days. And that paint would oxidize. That's why the paint went from bright and shiny to dull and ugly. You could polish it and get it to shine again. But after you do that a few times, over a few years, pretty soon the paint's gone because every time you're doing that polish work in those days, you're removing some of the paint. Pretty soon you're down to the primer. Pretty soon you're down to bare metal. So, this project is not just covering up the old stuff. Now, you can think about that in your life too. You can cover up the old stuff. But what parts do you need to throw away and which ones do you need to replace? So these projects are not to be taken lightly. How do they get that way? These cars get that way by lack of use, uh, improper use. Like I mentioned, he ran into something and bent it up. Uh, general aging process, is that like us? Lack of maintenance, what's maintenance? Improper use, like us. Running into things that cause damage, rust. Anybody here got rust? Bad parts that don't fit the design. Well, we, we can take the car apart and put it back together into original condition. There's no doubt. It takes two things, money and effort. Let's have the next slide. But if you do it, you end up with something that really looks pretty decent. I would never race this car, 
Uh, it, was, it was not designed for that. I actually bought this car to build it for Marcia to drive to school. And uh, after two years of work and uh, $12,000, not counting my labor time, uh, she said, I'm not driving that to school. Someone will scratch it, someone will do this, someone will do that. So anyway, I sold it back to the guy, the associate pastor that I had because it really wasn't the car I was looking for. I wanted a different car. That brings me to a particular thought. If you don't want to go through the work of being restored, you don't have the option of going out and buying a new car. You can't buy a new you. This requires you to do something. Okay, so what is it that you're required to do? You need to maintain yourself. But you need to find out what God's plan is for you. So turn, to me, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Romans 12, 1 to 3. If we want to know what his good and perfect will is, okay, if you want to know what his perfect, good and perfect will is for our lives, we must present our bodies as a holy and living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we've got both physical and mental changes that need to be made. What is it in your life that is physical that needs to be changed? What is it in your life that mentally needs to be changed so you are more like God, God's character, like more like what he designed you to be? Now this, this is a bold statement perhaps in light of what I've learned over the years or been told over the years. God's will may not have anything to do with your chosen career, who you marry, or where you live. I had a friend of mine just recently, last, about two months ago, just retired from uh, well, police-type work. And he said, Bill, I don't know what God's plan is for me now. So it's kind of a hit and miss thing, but we've started a study on what is it that is God's will for him specifically. We need to ask that question if we want to change. And it may not have anything to do with where you're living or what your job is. Bear with me on this. It is, doesn't mean that you don't pray about a decision for who you marry or what your job might be. There are scripture that can be used for that very well, and prayer is an important part of that. If your life is lived as a sacrifice, you may not get all you expect. Go back to John chapter 10, living life abundantly. <coughs> Excuse me. You may not get all you expect, but you will get all you need. And I'm going to try to answer this in, in a little bit here. Ask the big question when you think about God's will. Think of his big plan, his restored fellowship, and when you get to heaven 
your restoration will be complete. So the car project, I could have continued on with that car project. It still had work that needed to be done. But I decided enough is enough. Okay. Each of us in our daily life think about that as we go through. First of all, it says, if you want to know, you have to have a desire to get started. Some people, including my wife, says, you got to be kidding on that car. No, I paid $800 for it. I sold it for 12000 to get the money back out of it. But uh, what, what is it that you're expecting and what is it that you need to do to be restored to the original car or headed in the direction where you'll have the perfect restoration when you get to heaven? Okay, so we need to evaluate ourselves. Just like the car, you need to evaluate yourself. Where are you at? And I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Very familiar verses to you. This, I believe, is the key part of God's image that is expected of us. For us to be the image of God here on earth. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, and remember God is three, three persons in one. Okay, here's talking about the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Then if we go to Colossians, to kind of follow up on that thought, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, Paul speaking to the Colossians, as the elect of God, the chosen of God, the elected, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been elected, you have been chosen by him. Holy and beloved. So he's saying your righteousness is there because of Christ, and your beloved put on tender mercies. There's a quality characteristic. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you forgave you, so you must do. Okay, God has given us salvation. It's a gift. If we accept that, we are now in Christ's sheepfold. We are now part of his family. These quality characteristics are essential to get through transitions. Let me try and illustrate that. If you have a spouse who you have difficulty with, I don't mean divorce kind of thing, not going that far, but you have difficulty understanding, difficult agreeing with or having a problem, which of these fruit of the Spirit do you need to get through that situation? Love, kindness, humility, which do you need to focus on when you're having a difficulty with your child? 
up to a certain age, you have to have patience and love and kindness and mercy, etc., etc., right? What is it as a youth that you need to have as a fruit of the Spirit in order to understand what your parents are trying to do for you? It may seem like they're doing it to you, but what is it that they're trying to do for you? How do you get to a fruit that helps you get through that situation? Which of the fruit of the Spirit do you say, I don't like that one. That one's too hard. I don't want to have that fruit. Hmm. Do we do that? I'm going to say yes. Sometimes I don't want to be long-suffering. Sometimes I don't want to be meek. I'm at an age where I've been there, done that on too many things. I'm like, just listen, we need to do this. I need to be more long-suffering because everybody's not on the same page. We'll all go through transitions to learn, to grow, to become more Christ-like. Now, in order to try to encourage you that this is Scripture that needs to be enacted, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is speaking again to the church to try to get a point across to them that they need to do something. This is the part that I want to illustrate that <clears throat> we can know God's will, we can know God's plan, but we also have to do something. You don't have to do anything for your salvation other than ask Christ to become Lord of your life. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, therefore, my beloved, again, he's, he's addressing these people as people he loves, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God has a will for you, and he will work it out through you for his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is that you have these fruits of the Spirit in your life. So trying to bring this back around, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 that I read to you earlier, if we want to know what is his good and perfect will for our lives, we must present our bodies a holy and living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we want to restore what God's original intent was back in Genesis. I hate to use these words because they were popular or Seemed to be a popular TV show. I see the ads for Naked and Afraid. Before we were naked and afraid, God had a better plan for us. We're no longer ashamed if we are back, restored back to the original condition that God made us for. But we need to know that we're not doing this alone. We're doing this through God, the Holy Spirit, through our knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and obeying, as Paul says, not just when he's there physically, but anytime, always. Do you act differently 
when you're with Pastor Logan and you're out messing around than you do when Pastor Logan's not there? Do you act differently when your spouse is not with you? Thinking about hypocrisy in your life, I believe this is the point of these verses is trying to lead us to bringing the fruit of the Spirit out in application in our lives day by day, minute by minute, constantly. Tough, tough assignment. But if we are diligent, if we do what God asks, and there's a verse in Matthew chapter 6 that Thad read last week, blessed are those who search after righteousness. So what's, where's the onus? What has to be done? It takes work. We must seek righteousness. We must be willing to work for it. So like restoring that classic automobile, you must be willing to start the process. You must do a thorough evaluation, decide what parts need to be thrown out, decide which ones can be repaired. I mean, that might be something like a friendship. You've had a close friendship and had a falling out for some reason. What does God want us to do? Restore that relationship. Some people I know buy old cars thinking, I'm going to fix this thing up. It's going to be beautiful. That's as far as they get. Others of them I've heard stories of, of people who buy them, they get them about half done, uh, and they run out of money. Or they have a health problem. They can't complete it. They give up. Stop in the middle. It takes persistence to get through it. And on the side, I'm currently restoring a 1968 Plymouth Barracuda for my son. It's taken me right out a year so far, and it's still not even painted. So uh, probably another one of those two-year projects. It takes time. We can't give up. We have to just keep on keeping on. So in your, in your little handout today that's in the bulletin, there are three points there at the end. Number one. You need a desire to know the plan. Starts with you. You have to decide if you have a desire. A desire to seek God's instruction and to understand how to complete the plan. That's Matthew 5, 6. Blessed or be happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And number three, you need a desire to complete the task. Knowing full well that you will not be perfect. You will not be perfect until you reach heaven and greet Jesus at the gate, or whatever that's going to look like. You won't be. We can't make it. We're not well enough equipped to do that. But we should keep on. So believe in Jesus and be willing to let him become Lord of your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to control you and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life so that others will see your image as God intended. Don't get discouraged with the amount of time that it takes because we will not be complete until we get there. So in conclusion, to bring back to my first initial points, 
We are uniquely made in God's likeness and can demonstrate that by the way we live through the action of the Holy Spirit on our character. Focusing on God's purpose of living our life in the right way is God's plan, regardless of our career plan, family situation, education, and other personal goals. It's not what we do, it's how we do it. Knowing how to achieve this plan requires learning more about him, applying that knowledge in our lives, and being persistent. So that's the message I have for you today. We're all in transition. We all need God in our lives, and we need to know what his plan is for us. His plan is for us to have the fruits of the Spirit in our life, to live life according to his plan. Uh, let me close. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the time we can be together today. I know that you have a plan for each of us, that we should just seek it out, and that we should look most favorably at a process that we can do to become more like you, to be like your image, so that the world might see that image and want to become part of that also. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Afterwards, uh, we're going to watch a couple of baptism videos, and I'm going to flip to MJ Get Changed, and we're going to see the gospel in baptism today.
Hi, I'm Kimmy. I'm taking the next step of baptism because I want to show people that I'm a Christian and that I believe and trust in God. I became a Christian when my dad asked me if I understood what it was to become a Christian and if I wanted to get saved. I told him yes and that I believed Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose three days later so I can live with him in heaven someday. Choosing Jesus has made a difference in my life because I don't have to be afraid of his future because I know that my future is in God's hand and if I trust him, then I'll be okay. To me, being a Christian means that I believe and trust in God and that I can tell my friends about Jesus and how he died on the cross for their sins. Audrey Davenport, and I'm taking the next step of baptism because I want to grow closer to God, and I wanted the church to know I've understood who He is, and I want to become part of His body, because in my heart, I know there's no way to fix my sins, and I need Jesus. I've believed in God my whole life, but I never quite understood what it meant to be a Christian. Until this year, while I struggled through middle school, the Lord showed me parts of who He is, and I was amazed about how merciful and loving He is, even with the many sins I've done. Ever since I chose to follow Christ as my Savior and King, I felt the difference when I sin, even something as simple as yell at my sister. I feel this tug in my heart saying that that was wrong, and quickly I want to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Another thing is, before I became a Christian, my mind always went to the what ifs, like what if I, what if I get a bad grade? But once God opened my eyes to him, all those what ifs, in my opinion, were answered with, yeah, maybe that will happen but it will be according to God's will. So that's made a difference in my life ever since the year has been in trusting.